the glare? It's Doesn't up to you. Matter? You're all good. Okay, I can see you better. That helps. Sweet. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Adherent Apologetics show, the Adherent Apologetics podcast. Today, I'm with Greg Kokel. Did I pronounce that correct? Perfect. Sweet. There we go. So in case you don't know who Greg is, you probably do. But just in case, he's the president of Standard Reason. He's written books such as Tactics, The Story of Reality, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, he's debated atheists such as Michael Shermer, and he's a philosopher. He has his master's in philosophy. So appreciate you joining me today. How are you doing? Good, sir. I'm I'm doing all right. Got a little cabin fever, but it's good to get out and get some fresh air once in a while. Hopefully this whole nonsense will be over pretty soon. Yeah, one can hope. Um, so just to start off, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, kind of what got you into apologetics, things like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I became a Christian as a young adult. I was 23 years old, and this was back in the in the early 70s. And uh, I and right after I, follow, I became a follower of Jesus, I began encountering people in the street that uh, I wanted to talk to about Christ, you know, in, and uh, over at UCLA, for example, where I was going to school at the time. And uh, I realized I didn't have what I needed to engage them. I didn't have the answers. I, I was convinced that Christ was the answer, that Christianity was true. The Christian worldview was an accurate picture of reality, so to speak. But um, I didn't really know how to communicate that to others. And so this is when I started my interest in apologetics, which is uh, being able to engage people in a thoughtful way uh, to make a case for Christianity. And over the years, this has been a really, really important part of what I do. And when I got into full-time Christian work first in a pastoral capacity, I was an associate pastor. I'm not really a pastor type, but I was an associate pastor. And I did uh, in our church in Southern California, there were 15 different pastors and, and I was a teaching pastor and ran a Christian ed program, did some writing for them and uh, always gravitated towards um, the apologetic stuff. And uh, in 19, uh, 19, um, let me get my years right here, 1993, which, uh, May 1st, which was just what four days ago on the calendar, uh, we started Stand to Reason. So we just had our 27th anniversary, which we're pretty proud of, really thrilled about. You know, it just started with me and one other person, Melinda Penner. We had some volunteers. Now we have 18 staff members. Uh, we have three full-time speakers, although we're not moving around much at the moment, but generally we're on the road a lot and uh, um, going to universities. I've spoken on 85 different university campuses over the years and and going to churches and doing conferences. And, and our heart really is to train Christians to be good ambassadors for Christ. I mean, that's that's what we're all about. My, my main, I mean, this may sound ironic, but my, my main heart is not for evangelism. Um, a lot of people who do what I do, they just have a heart for evangelism. My heart is for discipleship, actually. And so what I wanna do is to help train Christians to engage productively. And of course, I've done my share of evangelism, still do. And this is part of what I do on campuses. But I always want, if I go on campus, I always want to be able to engage the local Christian community and talk about uh, productive ways of having conversations with people who disagree with you and uh, making it more like diplomacy than D-Day, you know. So uh, this is where the tactical game plan comes in. We'll be talking about that a little bit. These are very particular maneuvers that you can use in conversation that are exceptionally effective to get people thinking, and that's the goal of them. Um, and so uh, over the years, I've perfected that. Uh, I, in fact, the tactics book, which we'll, we'll probably talk about, it's out now, and it's here it is. This is the 10-year anniversary edition right there. Um, we've uh, just released it and increased the size by 40%, added a whole bunch of more new tactics, almost doubled the numbers of tactics, and expanded the existing material. So it's really, really been well honed to train Christians to maneuver effectively in conversations. In fact, there's nothing, there just is nothing like that book. I, I mean, I don't want to be patting myself on the back. I'm just surveying the field. And there are, there are lots of good books on evangelism, but nothing quite like this one. And I think that's one of the reasons it's received such a great reception over the, uh, the last um, 10 years and continues to do really, really well. Because people, as they've said to me more, most frequently, the phrase I hear is this book 
has changed my life. And what I'm in a way it's humbling and, um, and, uh, you know, satisfying to hear that, but at the same time, flattering, but at the same time, it's, um, it's not entirely surprising because these techniques have really changed my abilities act to engage effectively, um, with others in conversation. And so when I, teach this to other people, they pick up on it, it's not hard, then I'm not surprised that things are changed for them. So basically, that's what I've been about these these last, well, 46 years as a follower of Christ, always engaged, uh, really wanting to make a difference. At Stand a Reason, we are building what we call ambassadors for Christ. This is our goal. <clears throat> we don't want to just dispense information, though we do that. Very active website at str stand to reason str.org our team is out there blogging and and putting things up on all the social media in little snippets that are bite size and easily digestible we try to throw the ball so people can catch it but um we are working hard to train ambassadors that <clears throat> excuse me have skill in the area of knowledge also in tactical wisdom, a way to navigate, and also in character. So they're nice about it. <laughs> so we call this uh, knowledge as an accurately informed mind. Uh, wisdom is an attractive man. I'm sorry. Wisdom is an artful method, and character is an attractive manner. So that kind of in a nutshell is what uh, what makes me tick and uh, what I've been especially involved with for the last 27 years with Standard Reason. Yeah, that's great. So one thing you talked a lot about in that little bit right there is how you're looking to train ambassadors for Christ, basically. Could you talk a little bit about a little bit more about what that means and kind of like how you do it? Like, so what are some of the key strategies that you have for trying to train ambassadors for Christ? Yeah, um, that's actually a broad um, vision that we have um, to build ambassadors for Christ in the way we we characterize it as confidence um, for every Christian, uh, clear thinking for every challenge, and courage and grace for every encounter. And so you can see what we're trying to do, again, as I said a moment ago, is we're not just giving out information. That's valuable. There's a lot of good sites that do that, a lot of good books that do that. We, we need that. It's the foundation of being a good ambassador. But there's more that's required. See, what we're trying to do is do an incarnational approach, trying to build a certain type of person, okay, to build a, a disciple of Jesus um, <clears throat> that has a certain perspective. And Zach, one of the things that, um, when I say perspective, I mean about engagement. One of the things I noticed uh, when we first started uh, 27 years ago, and this is one of the reasons we decided to do something specific, I left that, that church and we entered into this enterprise, is because I, I saw two things, well, actually three things were happening. First, the conversations that were going on were really shrill. Okay, a lot of yelling, a lot of anger, a lot of hostility. <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of um, a lot of uh, you know, argumentation in the in the bad sense of the word. You know, quarrels, and that was the mentality. Okay, head to head, let's just have a fight. Excuse me. So that one, that I didn't like that. I, I well, let's put it this way: it was kind of by nature. <laughs> <laughs> but I realized it wasn't productive. Okay. So the, the, the better angel of my nature didn't like that. Okay. That's one thing. Uh, second thing is that a lot of these conversations were really shallow. <clears throat> Pardon me. And that, that, hold on. All right. Got it. Um, a lot of these conversations didn't go very far. The Christians did not have a good understanding of Christianity, and they didn't have a good understanding of defending the Christian worldview. They didn't have the big picture. They had slogans that were true as far as they went, but they didn't go very far. And so it was amazing to me because as I started studying philosophy, I realized that, that Christianity's got the best thinkers in the world. When you look at uh, Copleston's history of philosophy, it's like uh, 10 volumes or something, starting back with Aristotle and the ancients and going all the way to the present time. Um, just since the time of Jesus, just about every single one of those persons that made a significant contribution to Western thought was a Bible-believing Christian, for goodness sake. Okay, and it was only until the Enlightenment that that uh, that began, began to change. So why is it that we, we are a bunch of dummies in a certain sense uh, in the way we communicate? And I don't mean that Christians are dumb. That's not my point. But it's why is it when we have such a great heritage, when we go to engage 
culture, we don't say anything much meaningful, you know, except for contrary ideas. We're right, you're wrong. Instead of making the case like our, our, our those that went before us have done. And so that bothered me too. So there was shrillness, there was shallowness, and there was a lot of silence. That is people who did have the courage to get out and go head to head and, and bang heads with other people in a shallow, shrill way, just stayed on the bench. And so they were not involved. And so th this is something I thought that that stand to reason as an organization could speak to. And this is something that we could, um, something we could do in the marketplace, the Christian, the marketplace of ideas at large and in the local church as well, as we train Christians to work in the local church with their communities, with the people that they come in contact with, their friends and their neighbors, their kids, whatever, um, by giving them not just the content that will help them, by taking the ideas and um, kind of trimming them down. I mentioned bite size just a moment ago, but um, I, I I like the idea of throwing the ball so people can catch it. You know, some people say, put all the ideas down on the bottom shelf. Well, all the ideas can't get down there, you know, but what we've discovered is the ideas that can't go on the bottom shelf and they're here, or maybe they're up there a little bit, Christians will reach for it if they're given the opportunity and trained properly, if they are, if it's accessible. And so this is where my idea of throwing the ball so people can catch it comes in. I think that's a much better way to put it. And so what we found is stand to reason becomes a translator of those ideas. I have a master's degree in apologetics and a master's degree in philosophy. So this gives me access to lots of good information and a lot of smart people, a lot smarter than me. And what I can do is take, and what we do as a team is we take an, we, cause we all have master's degrees at least. Well, yeah, master's degrees. Um, and even in our regular staff that aren't speaking staff, they have master's degrees. So, so we know the field, we understand the ideas. But we then want to take that and translate it in a way that people can understand it. That's what I mean by throwing the ball so people can catch it. And I think this has become a hallmark of Stand to Reason over the last 27 years. People know us for this, for the idea of building an ambassador for Christ who gets it, who has the basic knowledge, that also is able to maneuver in conversation tactically with wisdom, knowledge, wisdom. Finally, their character commends the message. And this is really, really big thing to us because we want people to have virtuous characters. And I don't, I, and I mean virtuous in all areas of their life. So the, the way they're, that they're living and also the way they engage people. And see, this is where Christians think of virtue as like, uh, oh, I'm a nice person. And that's fine until, <laughs> until they engage with somebody that disagrees with them. And then they're not so nice because now them's, uh, them's fighting words kind of thing. And you circle the wagons and you draw the bayonets and ready aim fire kind of. And uh, we don't want that kind of thing. We don't want people to get into fights. And so our whole approach is meant to equip Christians with the tools, the knowledge, wisdom, and character so they can be a full fledged and, and uh, effective ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Um, and uh, over time, and we don't expect this to happen overnight, uh, but it's a growth process. That's the way I look at it for myself. That's the way I look at it for the rest of our team members. I mentor them to be better ambassadors for Christ. And uh, actually, we have regular mentoring sessions with my team, you know, and our speakers and stuff. And... Uh, and then, um, and then, you know, wanting to mentor our broader community, our broader standard reason community. Yeah, that's awesome. So for someone that's listening who wants to grow in their knowledge and wisdom and characters you've been talking about, what are some of the practical steps they can take to kind of grow in not only their walk, but in their knowledge and wisdom and character so they can be more effective when they're interacting with people who aren't believers? Sure. Okay. Um, the knowledge, let's just step through each one, and we're going to spend most of our time in the second step. But the, the, the knowledge one is some, somewhat obvious. Um, you need to know two things. You, you need to know <laughs> the answers and the questions, all right? Um, it, it, the questions are the questions that the culture is asking right now. It's the particular way that Christianity is under attack in our culture. Now, what's curious about this period of time is uh, it's a full court press. 
That means virtually every single way that Christianity is vulnerable. And by the way, it is vulnerable. We had a large, vulnerable underbelly. And incidentally, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, if you saw the movie uh, or read the book on Hobbit, you know, the big dragon was impervious to arrows and spears, and everything, except for it had one little chink in its armor. And so you had a hit there. It's kind of like an Achilles heel. That's not true of Christianity. Christianity has a lot of vulnerabilities. For example, um, our story starts in the beginning, God. Well, if there is no God, there's no story, right? If the atheists are right, we're out of business. Okay, we're Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. If Jesus never existed, which a lot of people claim, we're also out of business, all right? Um, we, uh, we, we, Jesus is our Savior. He saves us from sin. Sin is a violation of moral law. What if it turns out there are no moral laws? It's just what we make up as we go along, moral relativism. Well, then we're out of business again. What if there is no soul? If there's no soul, then there's nothing that survives the death of the body, and there's no heaven or hell, okay? So notice that these are all different ways that you can disprove Christianity. But it also demonstrates ways that we can give evidence in favor of Christianity. And this is why, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that Christianity has a large underbelly, it's called falsifiability, also um, gives us opportunity to give reasons why our convictions are sound, okay? And this is, this is the knowledge component. So if somebody brings up the problem of evil, it turns out, in my view, the problem of evil is one of the best arguments for God, not against God. But that's, there's a line of thinking that goes there. If you don't know the line of thinking, you can't pursue it with somebody in conversation. Um, the idea that w whether or not Jesus actually existed, this is under challenge. The resurrection, Paul said, if Paul, Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, well, we're out of luck as Christians. People should feel sorry for us. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, and that's the language he uses. He didn't use, use the luck word, but, you know, we are of all people to be pitied is the way he put it. So there's a whole range of things that um, the Christian who wants to be a good ambassador over time needs to avail themselves of getting the knowledge. And what I would suggest in that regard is to learn, learn, um, two different kinds of things. First of all, learn the things you, you're interested in. I mean, if you like, you know, science, then study science apologetics. Uh, if you like history, then look at that. Okay, so that's one thing. Pursue your interest. <clears throat> the second thing is, is to pursue the thing, the issue that people are challenging you on. Okay, so maybe you like science, but the way people are talking to you mostly is about um, sexual issues you know, gender and whatever. I think, well, I'm not that interested in that, but you know, that's what they're talking about. So I better learn some things. Incidentally, at our website, str.org, we have thousands of entries. We have articles, we have short clips, we have videos, we have all kinds of things that deal with everything you could possibly imagine that addresses the knowledge side of Christianity. And uh, so there are a lot of other sites too. So we're, we're not alone in that regard. So this is a knowledge thing. And the knowledge thing is, a, is important for two reasons, all right? Um, the knowledge thing is important partly because Paul says in Colossians 2 that we should have a good defense. He says, do not be taken captive by philosophy and empty deception, <clears throat> pardon me, according to the traditions of men rather than according to Christ. Just a minute. I apologize for that. In other words, there are all kinds of ideas out there, philosophies that look very attractive, and I mean worldviews here, that look very attractive, and a lot of Christians are falling for them. But they're not according to Christ. They're according to men's ideas. And they may be gussied up with Christian lingo. doesn't make them any more accurate. There's the progressive Christianity movement that's buying into all these concepts in the world that are inconsistent with the Bible, but they still identify themselves as Christians. These are wolves in sheep's clothing, and we have to be able to see that. So, so Paul says, don't be taken in by that. Have a good defense. Know the error when it comes uh, barking, so to speak, or actually bleating <laughs> because the wolves are dressed up like sheep. Um, but he also says we need to go on the offensive. And the offensive, he describes in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, first few verses there. And he says, we are tearing down speculations. So what's a speculation? It's like a theory, right? 
We are tearing down, we, we are casting down, tearing down, defeating speculative theories and, as he puts it, every lofty thing, highfalutin concept, raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so we have all these ideas that are raised up against Christianity and God and Christian theism. He said, uh, we are to be able to show them to be false and to take, as he puts it, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I, I think in this particular case, he's talking about having correct, accurate understanding of the world according to Christ. That's the idea. We tear down the false ideas. We have a renewed mind, so we're thinking the the true ideas. So this is the this is the um, knowledge part of the equation. Um, let me just jump over wisdom for a moment because I want that's the largest area, and I I, I want to go to the character side first. The, the before I do that, so the third quality is character, and um, here we we. What we mean is not just somebody doesn't cheat on their taxes and doesn't kick the dog and, you know, and doesn't swear or something like that. I mean, all those things are just kind of, that's normal Christian virtue. Well, what I'm talking about is the way we engage other people. All right. How do we come across in our daily life, whether it's in a conversation or when it's just, we're just hanging out. And are, are we, um, you know, are, are we, are we demonstrating virtuous interactions and character with other people okay and basically there's two ways that christians go wrong here it's easy to keep track of this because i the way i put it is they're either too naughty or too nice <laughs> okay so there i'm throwing the ball so you can catch it they're either too naughty or they're too nice and what i mean by that if some christians are just are just crabby and to just to be completely transparent this is a liability for me i i can crab about everything because it's easy for me to see when something is wrong and can be improved and then i talk about it and uh of course the fortunately for me i found a way to make a living at it you know as an it's a humor there but it has a downside it has a dark side and uh a lot of people are like this you know it's always finding something wrong when people engage us and encounter us as christians they should not find grumpy people because if we're grumpy people it does not make our christianity look attractive to them and we want to be attractive people and so some of us have to work really really hard at not being grumpy or not being argumentative quarrelsome paul says in second uh, timothy at the end of the chapter two he says the lord's bondservant slave is not to be quarrelsome argumentative in that sense but patient when wronged, the verse that is most frequently characterized uh, for defending the faith is in First Peter chapter three, and there it says, "Always be ready to make a defense or give an answer to the for the hope that's within you," kind of thing. And that's where the word apologetics comes from. That verse, make a defense, an apologia. But then it says, "But with gentleness and reverence." How that get in there? You know. <laughs> Be nice, you know, is another way. Uh, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, Paul says in Colossians chapter 4. So these are all, this is all part of the package. You know, we, we, some of us are just too naughty, and we've got to lighten up. We've got to relax a little bit. Now, when I talk about <clears throat> the tactical game plan in the wisdom section, knowledge, wisdom, character, I'll give you some ways to do that. And that is going to make a big difference. <clears throat> but in the, uh, but the, I mentioned that sometimes in the character side, sometimes we're too naughty. Sometimes we're actually too nice. <clears throat> uh, the naughty ones, they don't care what anybody thinks. They're going to offend anybody, everybody. <laughs> you know, there's just both in the China shop uh, sometimes. But on the other hand, you have people that are so sensitive and sweet and kind. They don't want to say anything that's going to offend anybody. Okay. Well, this is a mistake. And it's a mistake because Jesus offended enough people to get himself killed. All right. There are appropriate times to give offense. And the important thing is that it is not the ambassador and his or her attitude or style that gives offense. It is the message accurately communicated that gives offense. The cross is a stumbling block. Okay, and if that's what people are stumbling over instead of us, well, that's all right. If they're stumbling over us, shame on us. 
Okay. And that's where we got to look at, okay, what are we doing? And a lot of what we talk about as stand to reason is how we can soften our approach, how we can be more gracious, more generous, how we can get people thinking without getting them angry, but you can't avoid it sometimes. Okay. Um, and for the people who are too nice, I know some of them are thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to live my life as a sweet Christian and that's going to be my witness. Well, I think it's good that they live their lives as sweet Christians, but I just want to make an observation. Um, if that's your, uh, if that's your evangelism method, um, you've got some competition because you are never going to be able to out nice a Mormon. Mm -hmm. All right, <laughs> you got some stiff competition with our LDS friends because they're really nice, but they have a completely different message. So we want to be nice, but we also have to communicate the truth in a gracious way, even when it bugs people. And it's going to bug people. It's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. It's just the way it is. And this is why Jesus said, in this world, you have tribulation. And it's because we are across the grain of the world. All right. We are living, we, we are going in a different direction the world is going. We're not going along with the world. That to me is what the progressive Christian movement is doing. It's going along with the world. All the things that are really controversial right now with regards to uh, Christianity and has always been the sexual issues, Jesus being the only way, you know, Jesus dying for our sins, all of these things that people don't like, and there's more of them, the Bible's authority, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's controversial. So what happened to the progressive Christians? They just abandon these things. They just go in, in their own direction. And the direction that they're going is the direction of the world. So anyway, so that's knowledge and character. Right in the middle is wisdom. Okay. Wisdom is a artful method. And this is where the tactics book comes in. Okay. The tactics book is subtitled a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. You can get it on Amazon now real easily. And, um, the new edition, the 10th anniversary edition came out in November, and I think I got like 95 or 94% five stars, which that's great. I'm really happy to see that. And I have hundreds of people that are weighed in. And so uh, you guys can check that out if they want and look and see what people say. But um, the game plan is a very particular way of engaging. But I want to, before I get into the game plan, I need to lay a little bit of a foundation here, Zach, because... Um, I want to encourage Christians to change their perspective about what we call evangelism. I don't want them to think about evangelism. I want to think. I want them to think about being ambassadors. Both are biblical words, and they both are meant to drive towards the same goal. The difference, though, is a one of attitude, because I think for me coming up in the Jesus movement, and I think all of us since then, the emphasis of evangelism was winning souls. <laughs> Which, no duh, of course, we want people to come to Christ. But what that often amounts to is us trying to close the deal too soon. We got our little booklets, boom, 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 step four. Do you want to receive Christ? Pray this prayer. Okay. Well, I'm just, I, I want to give a, a, an insight right now that's not very profound, but when they think about it, it's got a, a, an incredible um, ramifications for evangelism. Okay. And that is, Watch this. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. Let me say it again. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening that goes before it. Springtime right now, people are planting gardens because they expect that in the fall they will harvest. If they don't garden during the spring and summer, guess what? No harvest, only weeds, right? And since we want to harvest, it's really important that we garden. But most of our evangelism techniques are not gardening techniques. They are harvesting techniques. That means simple gospel invites somebody to receive Christ. And if they do, great. If they don't, oh, bummer. But, you know, did the best we could. And the idea of trying to get someone to pray to receive Christ, in, first of all, is not a biblical idea. You never see people, Jesus or the apostles, I mean, maybe never is too strong a word, but I, I don't, characteristically, you read through the entire book of Acts, read through the Gospels, you're not going to see people being challenged to make a decision for Jesus at that point. Will you receive Christ? 
do you want to follow Jesus? No, what you see is the gospel message is preached and the message does its work. It's the power of salvation to all who believe. Okay, so the message is doing the work. Even in Acts 10, when, when the, Peter is preaching to uh, Cornelius, okay, uh, he's meeting that whole group of Gentiles, and as he's preaching the gospel, all of a sudden they're believing. They say inside they're going, ah, yeah, that's for me. And then it's evidenced on the outside by miraculous manifestations. And you read the text in, in, in Acts chapter 10. But characteristically, that's the way it is in the Bible. It wasn't until the 19th century that we started to have altar calls and prayed with people to receive Christ and whatever, as if this is the most important part of the process. I don't think it is. And I think there's a liability to it. Now, I'm not putting it down. If people want to do that, you're fine to do that. Okay. However, what happens is there's a lot of people for whom that is really uncomfortable. And therefore, they're going to sit on the bench. They're not going to get involved at all. And these are the silent folks that I was talking about earlier. Okay. And so we don't want people to be silent. We want people to engage. But if they don't have a way to engage, there's going to be a problem. So the first thing I want people to think about is not harvesting. In fact, I, I, I'm going to say a couple things here that's going to really shock your listeners probably. The first thing is I never have it as a goal when I get in a conversation with somebody who I hope I will turn to spiritual things. I never have it as a goal to lead that person to Christ, to pray with them to receive Christ. That's not my goal. Secondly, I have not prayed with somebody to receive Christ in at least 30 years, maybe 40. I know what some of your listeners are thinking. What a loser. <laughs> but that's because my I realize as I look back in my life that I'm not a harvester. There are plenty of harvesters out there, you know, that are doing a great job. And maybe we need more harvesters. Jesus says, you know, pray that the Lord of the harvest send out harvesters into the field. Um, fine. Um, when the harvest is ready, that's great. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4. After he talked to the woman at the well, the disciples come in. They were buying food. And she's gone off to Sychar after she talked to Jesus to get the people to come to Jesus and hear him. And Jesus says to the disciples, you are about to reap where you did not sow. You are about to reap where you did not sow. In other words, um, somebody else did the heavy lifting here, the sowing, and you're going to get the easy pickings, the reaping. This is a reaping season here in Sychar. Okay. The sowing's already been done. In other words, they're going to do the harvest, but somebody else did the gardening. Now, notice when Jesus says that, he's identifying two different groups, one field, but two different groups. And the two different groups are harvesters, or I, should, I guess put it, sowers and reapers, or gardeners and harvesters, to use my language, okay? And he's identifying two different seasons, sowing and reaping, gardening, harvesting, okay? And my suspicion is, since harvesting is easy when the fruit is ripe, think about that. The fruit is ripe. I picked a lemon next door. Uh, somebody uh, has lemon trees, and he lets us go and get the lemons when we need them for something. Okay, so I went to get a lemon. It's on the tree. Oh, 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 oh. It's not going anywhere. Why not? It's not ripe. And they're laying right on the ground was a ripe lemon that had fallen off the tree because it was a little ripe. Okay? Point being, when the fruit is ripe, falls off the tree. It's easy to harvest. If it's not ripe... You know, you could ruin the plant. You could bruise the fruit, as we say. And so, um, so on, on, on our perspective, what, given the fact, and I look at my own life, I realize I'm a gardener. I'm not a harvester. Uh, and what I do by my podcasts or broadcasts on the radio, I've been radio 30 years, live radio. People call in and ask questions. Um, <clears throat> when I lecture in universities, when I do conferences, what am I doing? I'm gardening. I'm gardening. I'm gardening. If a church says, will you give an altar call? If that's what they want, I'll do it. Okay. But it's a very mild one, you know, and I don't have everybody bow their heads so nobody can see and that kind of stuff. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Okay, everybody bow. I don't want anybody to see who's looking up. Really? Okay. In any event, I, but, but for the most part, I don't do that. I communicate the truth and let the Holy Spirit do the work of bringing somebody into the you know, the harvest, you know, that's, that's God's job. It's not mine. So, um, so I, I realize that I'm a gardener and I actually think 
most Christians are gardeners, not harvesters. The problem is, is we have a technique that is a harvesting technique and therefore gardeners sit on the bench because they don't fit in. And that's a whole lot of people. And my conviction is, is if we can, if I can give, get a way to get more gardeners into the field, and that's what the tactical game plan is about, we're going to have a better harvest. All right. Now, let me just add one thing before I go into the tactical game plan, because this is a mindset I want people to think about. Mm -hmm. I, I want, I want them to change their mind. By the way, this is a controversial issue and I've had friends and colleagues who are really good harvesters are really mad at me for saying what I've just said to you because they think you should always be challenging people to receive Christ. I think that's a mistake. It's not necessary biblically and it could do harm. And a lot of people who think that's what's required are not going to get in the game at all. Okay. So here's one last detail. Remember I said I'm a gardener. I haven't prayed with anybody to receive Christ in over three decades. I wonder if your uh, listeners and maybe you have this act too, are familiar with the name uh, J. Warner Wallace. Is the name familiar to you? Yeah, it's familiar to me. I think he'd be familiar from most people that listen to this. I, at least I'd hope. Well, Jim Wallace was a uh, cold case detective, a storied one, uh, famous. A lot of his cases were on TV. He never lost a case that went to trial. And uh, he, uh, uh, he was an atheist, a very strong atheist. And then he decided to take his detective skills and apply them to the uh, testimony of the eyewitnesses or the alleged eyewitnesses in the New Testament that left the record behind about the life of Jesus to see if it would hold up. <clears throat> it held up so well, he became a follower of Christ. And he said, the day that I believed in the reliability of the Bible was the day I rejected the reliability of the Book of Mormon. It was interesting because he has a lot of LDS family members, but they wouldn't, the Bible's in a class by itself there, the Gospels. <clears throat> and then he went on to write best-selling book, Cold Case Christianity, and uh, another one, uh, God's Crime Scene, another one, Forensic Faith. And he's uh, arguably, I, I actually think he's the best Christian communicator out there right now doing apologetics. I'd rather listen to Jim more than anyone else. Here's the insight. J. Warner Wallace was in my garden. Jim was listening to my radio show when he was still an atheist. Okay. Maybe some of your listeners have, have heard the name uh, Abdu Murray. Abdu Murray is a former Muslim who was an attorney in Detroit. He became a follower of Christ, started his own organization, and then started working for Ravi Zacharias. And now he's the senior vice president of RZIM. Abdu Murray was in my garden. Abdu Murray was listening to our radio show before he became a Christian while he's still a Muslim. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to help people to see. Even if you're not leading people to Christ, you can have a powerful impact for the kingdom by gardening. And so I garden in their life. Now, look what happened. I didn't lead either of those guys to Christ. Somebody came into my garden and picked my fruit. Get out of my garden. <laughs> Do you think I care? I don't care. Why? Because we're all on the same team. And Jesus said in John 4 that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. So if I garden in somebody's life and Zach, you lead them to Christ. Hey, cool. That's the body of Christ working together. So that's a frame of mind I want our people to get. And I talk about that in the, in the, the book of tactics. But now I need to zero in on the game plan proper. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So the game plan is a very specific, in a certain sense, three-step process. And uh, you don't have to do things in order, but I'm going to give them to you in order because this is the way most people get into it. And especially the first two steps are so incredibly simple and so incredibly powerful that anyone can do it. Even somebody who became a Christian this morning who wants to engage others with their newfound convictions. And by the way, in my case, I became a Christian on a Friday night, September 28, 1973. And the very next day, I met with a bunch of my friends, and we went to the beach, and we had a barbecue, and we body surfed, and the whole deal. And that was my doubles partner in tennis. And then we came back to their house, and we started talking about Christianity. I didn't know what I was doing. I wish I had a game plan then. But uh, within 24 hours, I was engaging, you know, as it turned out in my situation. Um, didn't know any answers, didn't know how to proceed. But if I had the game plan, I could have done much better than I did. It would have been more relaxed 
also for me because there's a lot of hostility that came out during that meeting. Okay, so the game plan is three parts, and here's the first step of the game plan. And when I when I mention to your listeners that this is the first step of the game plan, what I want them to do is not think about anything else but the first step. Look, at a football team is prepping for the Super Bowl, right? So they get their plans down. They get the game plan. They get their strategy. They get, they're working out all their moves. They got that all in practice. But when they get on the field and they're kicking the ball off, they're not thinking about what, the end of the game. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about kicking that thing off and, and, and executing that particular play. And that's exactly what I want people to do. I do not want them thinking about leading someone to Christ. Forget about it. I have a much smaller or lower um, threshold right now. All I'm trying to do using my get tactical game plan is to put a, put a stone in someone's shoe. All I want to do is get them thinking. I want to offer them a thought or an idea or a piece of information, or maybe a question that gets them questioning their own point of view. And, and, and that's it. If I can just move them along a little bit, I'm okay. Remember gardening. I'm going to pull a few weeds, water a little, plant something, do a little hoeing. That's okay. I'm not breaking my neck. I'm just going to do a little bit. And if I get a chance to do a little bit more, fine. But I don't have this high expectation. And because I don't have this high expectation, I'm much more likely to engage a little bit and then see what the Holy Spirit does. Okay. So the first step in a conversation, that is when somebody's entering into a conversation that may have spiritual uh, ramifications. All I want them to think about is this one thing, and that is gathering information. There it is, gathering information. That is, you want to get information about the other person and their ideas. Why is that the first step? Because th- th- there's a real sense in which we are in, spir- in, in, in battle, warfare. I mean, strategy and tactics, these are military concepts. Now, we don't want to, you know, we want diplomacy, not D-Day, of course, as I mentioned earlier. But, but there, there is a certain sense that there's a lot of similarities because we're maneuvering in a hostile circumstance, an ideologically hostile circumstance that could become personally hostile, as we all know. And so we want to maneuver carefully. When you are approaching a battlefield, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to peek over the ridge and see what you're facing, right? You need some intel. Nowadays, you fly a drone over or something like that or a satellite. You got to have intel. You got to get the lay of the land. Civil War, that's what the cavalry was for. The cavalry would run all around to see where the the rest of the troops were setting up, you know, so they got the intel. And so what we need then when we start a conversation with anyone is we need some intel. We need to figure out something about the person if they're total strangers. It's friendly. We're drawing them out. And, um, And we need to find out something about their views. That's it. They might even believe like we do. We don't know that. Okay. Or maybe they're really, really hostile to our views. Well, that's going to change how we enter into a conversation with them. All right. Now, the key to maneuvering in the tactical game plan is a particular tactic. There's a lot of tactics in the book. They have names like suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and road scholar and what a friend we have in Jesus and inside out. And these are all different kinds of maneuvers and conversation. But there's one tactic that is the core of the game plan. And that ca- tactic is the simplest tactic imaginable to stop a challenger in their tracks, to turn the tables and to get that person thinking. And that's what we're after, putting a stone in their shoe, getting them thinking. Okay. And the tactic has a name and the name of the tactic is Columbo. And the reason I name it Columbo is after that TV character from 40 years ago, who was a detective, Lieutenant Columbo, and he solved murder mysteries. Um, and some young people don't know who that guy is. Most old people do. In every country I've ever taught this in, people knew who Columbo was uh, because he's so memorable. Um, but even a lot of the young people still watch it on reruns or whatever. And Columbo, you know, he would, he would ask a lot of questions. He came in under the radar. He didn't seem scary. He looked like he was stupid actually, but he was stupid like a fox because he had a technique and he'd scratch his head and say, Hey, there's something about this thing that bothers me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? And then off he goes. So we're going to use questions. That's the Columbo tactic to maneuver in our game plan. 
So if we are gathering information in the first step, what we are going to use is a model question, some form of the question, what do you mean by that? All right, what do you mean by that? In the book, I talk about a conversation I had with a witch in Wisconsin. Now, I didn't know she was a witch at first. I found out because I was asking questions. But she had this uh, large um, five-pointed star around her neck. That's uh, five-pointed star is a pentagram. It's often an occultic symbol. It looked like that from the way she was wearing it. So I asked her about it. I said, does that symbol have religious significance for you? And she said, yes, I'm a pagan. <laughs> and then off we are. There we go in a conversation. It was very friendly, too. But she's, oh, really? Tell me about it. So what am I doing? I, I look at her symbol and I ask a form of, what do you mean by that thing you're wearing? And then she tells me what she is, a pagan, and I say, okay, what do you mean by that? Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And the more I drew her out, the more information I got that allowed me to pursue a particular direction, still using questions, okay? So, I mean, there's lots I can say on this, I have like four or five chapters in the tactics book on the Colombo tactic and di different aspects of setting it up um, because it's so important. Okay. That is the game plan. The book is in two sections, the game plan section one and section two is of uh, finding the flaw and the other tactics are generally ways of finding the error in people's thinking and then using questions to exploit it. <laughs> there are a couple of defensive tactics I teach in there too, but they're all really helpful. The key though is first we got to get the basic information. Okay. Now, once we get the basic information, okay, we got step two. Again, I'm, this is a summary here, but we, we want to draw out that other person as much as possible and get as much information as possible. By the way, think of this, Zach, if you uh, are asking the questions, the other person who's answering is doing all the work, right? In fact, it's happening right now. See, there you are sitting relaxed, cool as a cucumber. I'm doing all the talking, right? I feel like I've done nothing this last 45 minutes. I've just been chilling here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a little bit talkative, but the, the but notice, so this is the dy dynamic of a radio show. This show is going, podcast is going in the direction you want it to go, but it's not because you're doing all the talking. It's because of the kinds of questions you're asking me. And other times there may be more interaction, whatever, but it's still your questions that are directing the conversation. And if you felt I was taking the conversation in a way that was not productive for your audience, for your purposes, you'd just say, well, hold on, Greg, let me, let me ask you this. Bang, you're off in a new direction, the one you want to go in. And so that means you, Zach, are in the driver's seat of this conversation, even though I'm doing most of the talking because you're using the questions. And uh, this is where I want to be as a Christian talking to skeptics. I want to be in the driver's seat. That doesn't mean I'm manipulating people or controlling them or even talking all the time. But I want to use questions to manage the conversation. Okay. So that's the first step. Gather information using some form of the question. What do you mean by that? Somebody says, I'm an atheist. I say, really? What kind of atheist are you? If he says everything's relative, I say, what do you mean by relative? Okay. He tells me that. I say, what do you mean by everything? If he says, uh, you know, the, 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 the Bible is just a matter of interpretation, I said, what do you mean? Are you saying that everybody's interpretation is equally valid? There's all kinds of ways to do this that are not challenging. They're just getting more information. Okay. And it's very easy to do. First step. Okay. And there's a model question. You don't need to know anything to ask that question. In fact, you're in student mode. Okay. The second step, number three part, first step, gathering information. What do you mean by that? Second step is what we call reversing, reversing the burden of proof. Okay. Now the burden of proof is the responsibility somebody has to give reasons for a view. All right. And um, the rule <laughs> is one that's overlooked by a lot of Christians. The rule is that the person who makes the claim bears the burden of proof. So if you make a claim, especially if it's controversial, if you say something is so, there is no God. Well, it's your job then to give reasons why you think there is no God. It is not the Christian's job initially to give reasons why there is a God, a God. Okay. Because if the Christian jumps in to do that, well, the atheist gets a free ride. 
In other words, the atheist or the other person can say anything they want. Oh, Jesus didn't exist. Uh, the Bible was just made up by a bunch of folks who were trying to control people. The Council of Nicaea, 325, blah, 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 blah. And, okay, now we're stuck. If we don't know anything about that, we don't know what to say. Okay. But remember, the burden of proof is on the person making the claim. If they make the claim, it is their job to defend the claim. It is not our job to refute it. Very important concept. Okay, so what that means is, is that means we have another question. If somebody makes a claim against our view, instead of us trying to disprove it, we're just going to ask a simple question. Once we understand the view, and that's the first step, then we want to say, okay, I, I think I understand your view, what kind of atheist you are, etc. Tell me, why are you an atheist? The basic question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Or what are your reasons for that? In conversation, I might put it a little differently, like, why are you an atheist? Why, why are you convinced that Jesus didn't exist? Okay, and then see what they say. Now, uh, and this you can use all the time. When people make claims, ask them the reason for it. Very relaxed, very comfortable, no lines drawn in the sand. You're not having a fight. You're not banging heads. Just curious. I want to be a student of your view and your reasons for it. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret here, um, Zach. The, these first two steps are very easy, okay? Gathering information, getting the lay of the land. What do you mean by that? Reversing the burden of proof. How did you come to that conclusion? Boom. You don't need to know anything but those two questions. You don't need to be, have to be smart. You're not making a case for yourself. You're only asking the other person about their view. A couple things are going to happen, though. One is you're going to get a good education about what the other person thinks. Secondly, is you're going to force that person to think about what they actually do believe and why they believe it. Okay. And that's something most people have not done. I'm just talking from experience here. Most people, and Christians too, for that matter, most people have not done that. And this is why when you ask, what do you mean by that? Or how'd you come to that conclusion? You're going to get a certain kind of response. So here's a 60s alert here <laughs> just let you know oh you're gonna get what i call the simon and garfunkel response remember those two guys from the 60s they wrote this great song in 1963 called the sounds of silence <laughs> so when you ask people what do you mean by that or especially how'd you come to that conclusion what are your reasons for it you're gonna get the sounds of silence you're gonna get dead air which is really stunning because it's their view. But it's amazing how often people can't clarify their own view. I asked a guy, I mean, a guy challenged me about something. He said, well, all of this is just your opinion. This was at a, an event. All of this is just your personal opinion. This is just your opinion. Yet to all, all, everything you said is just your, is your, is your opinion. Actually, is the way you put it. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? And I wanted to him to explain it. I suspect a person who says that means, well, this is a matter of personal opinion and there's no way to find out the true answer. So it's just one opinion against another. There's an answer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's kind of everything's relative way of putting it. But when I asked him, what do you mean? Which is my first question, clarification question. He said, I mean, everything's, it's, it's your opinion. What did he do? He just repeated what he said. I said, I know I got that. And by the way, it is my opinion. I agree with you. Of course, it's my opinion. Not your opinion. It's my opinion. Okay, but you're saying something more. So what do you mean? And he could not clarify what he meant. In fact, he got angry at me because I was just asking for clarification. When you ask, how did they come to that conclusion? You're still going to get Simon and Garfunkel. <clears throat> so these are all these are all maneuvers. I mean, these are the first two steps of the game plan. I gotta, I gotta plug my power in here because my juice is going down. Pardon. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's really awkward. Okay, so um, these are these are two steps of the game plan that can get you moving. Now, notice that these steps do not require that you know anything at all about theology or apologetics or philosophy or anything. You're being a student, and that's what. That's what your questions amount to so far. So that means there is no pressure on the Christian. It is very easy to proceed. And if it turns out they don't want to go any further, they don't have to go any further. You might hit a dead end, not know where to go. Fine. 
The secret is, is you'll be amazed at how much progress you can actually make to get another person thinking and to put a stone in their shoe just with those first two questions. That's it. it it's just amazing. Now, there's a third maneuver, and it's a third step, and it's the uh, it's the uh, uh, a more advanced technique because it requires you know something, okay? And <clears throat> the third use of, of, of the game plan, first one is to gather information, second to reverse the burden of proof. Here's the third one. Um, you want to... Um, Use questions always to make a point. You're going to use questions to make a point. Now, you might be using questions to advance your own view, and there's a particular way of doing that. And this is a little bit more complicated because it's an advanced concept. You have to know the point you're trying to make, um, which may be your point, or maybe you see a weakness or a flaw in the other person's view. Okay. And so you're going to, instead of simply pointing out, aha, I got you. You're going to instead use a question to accomplish that particular end. Okay, perfect example. Somebody says, you Christians are so judgmental. So, okay, they made a statement. Now, some of your listeners are going to realize that this common claim that is made against Christians, there's a problem with it. That person has just stepped into a hole and they don't realize it. Okay, and so what I'm going to do, and there's an occasion of this, I talk about it in the book. Well, what I'm going to do is ask clarification. What's wrong with that? Well, it's wrong to judge. Okay, I don't know if the problem that the person is in now is a little bit more clear. When a person says it's wrong to judge, and I'm the one who's judging, they're saying that I'm wrong for judging, right? And what is that? That's a judgment. In other words, the person who says that is doing the very same thing they're telling me I should be doing, right? And so I'm going to point that out. I could say, hey, well, you're judging me right now. Well, that would be true. It would be inelegant, though. It would not be shrewd. Instead, I want to use a question. And this is what I said to him. I said, well, if if it if you think it's wrong to judge, then why are, why are you judging me right now? So now I've made a point, but with a question, which throws the ball back into their court, and now they're going to answer why are they judging me when they think judging is wrong? And I'm telling you, this was a Simon and Garfunkel moment because this guy did not know what hit him. Now it wasn't manipulative and it wasn't fair. It was perfectly fair given the charge that he had made. Now, some might see, well, that, that guy's point of view kind of committed suicide right there in front of him. That's right. That's why we call it the suicide tactic. <laughs> and there are lots of occasions like that. So I was using the suicide tactic coupled with the Colombo tactic, asking a question to show the weakness or a flaw in the point of view. Anyway, I've been talking a lot here, and I realize we're getting kind of to the, to the end of our hour, but um, I just, it, it, that was a th thumbnail sketch of the entire game plan. And incidentally, if a person does not get the book, I promise you, you could take just what I've said here and think, okay, next time out, I'm not going to worry about winning somebody to Christ. I'm just going to be a student. I'm going to ask them, get a lay of the land, find out what they believe and why they believe it. Now, don't worry about anything else for a while. Get used to those things. And then as time goes on, you might figure out, hey, there's something wrong with that. Maybe I can I can see that because of my knowledge about this. Maybe there's a question I could ask that could get them thinking about the problem of their view. The tactics book is filled with those kinds of illustrations, okay? They, they have every single tactic has a lot of real-life examples for me. And um, and go to our website. We got more stuff. In fact, I'm writing an article in the next couple of days about how to use the tactics um, engagement on the abortion issue, just on that issue. Uh, it's going to be a lot of talk about that in the next couple of months here as we approach the election. And this is something that I want Christians to be um, and pro-lifers in general <clears throat> to be prepared for. And if you're a Christian, I hope you're pro-life because it's consistent with the biblical view of of reality. <clears throat> and if there's any question about that, or read the piece I'm writing. It'll be out in June, June 1st. You can find it on our website. So uh, anyway, uh, there's, the, there's the game plan for you, Zach, kind of in summary fashion. Yeah, I think that's a great job. You laid it out well. I can't believe it's already been an hour. You kind of laid it out really well. Um, time flies, I guess. So uh, anything before we wrap this all up, anything, last thoughts you want to say before we head off? 
Well, I, I, I hope that Pete, that your listeners will seriously consider getting the book. And it's not self-serving here, so I can sell more books. It's so that I can train more people in something they really need to be trained in. And that is navigating a very challenging culture in a gracious and an effective way. And like I said, I've had so many people tell me, and this is what the, the line they came out with, this book changed my life. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I wanted to change more lives in a good sense and get uh, get get Christians engaging in a very productive way as an ambassador, ambassadors for Christ. And get it on, on, uh, on Amazon. And uh, you mentioned another book, The Story of Reality. I, I think of this, this was an award-winning book. It was the book of the year two years ago at Christianity Today in its category. And uh, it received some other awards. But basically, it's kind of a, a mere Christianity for a new generation. The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and everything important that happens in between. I'm looking for my copy. I don't have one handy here. How the world began, how it ends, and everything important that happens in between. And that gives you the full-blown Christian worldview in a narrative style. And I, I think they'll have a lot of fun reading it. So that would be my recommendation. And I make that because I'm concerned about the, your listeners uh, having confidence, having answers, and being able to grade, engage in a productive and a gracious fashion. Yeah, uh, I highly encourage you everyone listening to check both those books out if you haven't already as for adhering apologetic stuff you know all my links you can support us on patreon we are almost 40 percent funded that's exciting um and that's it thank you so much greg for your time you're so welcome zach i enjoyed it so much all right have a great day everyone